0: should have introduced myself to those who aren't familiar with Charlotte Chapel. My name is Peter Granger. I'm also one of the pastoral team here. It's my privilege, as we do every time we meet together, to focus on God's Word, the Bible. And to do that, I need help from God, and you need help to be able to hear and understand what God wants to say to us. We believe that when we come together and seek God, that he speaks personally to us and corporately as well. So will you join me as we just pray and ask God to help us to do that. Heavenly Father, thank you for your great love that we've witnessed And heard about this evening in a very visible way in the baptisms. Now as we come to focus on your word, the Bible, and your son who is the living word, Jesus, we pray that you'll help me to explain things clearly, help us to understand, keep away distracting thoughts, and help us to respond to whatever you might want to say to us, the God of heaven, speaking to individuals even this evening. Help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this week an event took place that was witnessed by hundreds of thousands and beamed to billions around the world. Already on the internet, I checked on Wednesday, you can find 19,100,000 hits on Google if you type in just two words, Obama inauguration. And following the inauguration, the world watched and listened to the inauguration speak of Barack Obama, the first African-American President of the United States of America. Just raise your hand if you heard the speech. Or any of it. Most of us. A few days before, another speech was given by an equally powerful man. How many of you, raise your hands, heard the farewell speech of President Bush? Well then Dave, you and I. Oh, some more up there. Hardly anyone. Anyone. Yet, what I would say is a farewell speech is as important, if not more important, than in an inauguration speech. While every person of goodwill would wish and pray for every success for President Obama, what he said last week is at present idealism. When he leaves office, what he says in any farewell speech will be realism. And today then I want to focus very briefly, as we come to an end of this service, on the farewell speech given by a leader to his nation around 3,500 years ago. He's an old man with a remarkable personal history. Unlike Barack Obama, who reminded his audience that 60 years ago his people were still being treated like slaves, this man can look back 60 years and remember actually being a slave. A slave in the most powerful nation on earth at that time. For the first 40 years of his life, this man was literally a slave. He lived through, then, some of the most dramatic days in human history. As he and his people were rescued from slavery in Egypt by the Lord their God, with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. He then lived through another 40 years of the most miserable existence possible, wandering around in a desert, until every member of his generation, except he and another colleague, died in the desert. And when, last of all, Moses, the man who had led them on this journey, died on the edge of the promised land, this man took over as leader of the nation at the age of 80. So, There's hope for all of you here, most of you, I think. Three decades of fighting and conflict followed. Until at last the land of Israel was established within secure borders. And now here he is, Joshua is his name, 110 years old, old and worn out. And he summons the people of Israel to a place called Shechem. The spot where hundreds of years before... God had appeared to Abraham, the father of the nation, and promised this land. It's a natural amphitheater with two mountains on either side. And I want you to imagine this old man standing up and giving his farewell speech to the people he has led for so long. But his focus is not on himself, but on the Lord his God, and the choice that now faces his people. For them, I want to suggest today, as it may be for us, this is the day of decision. So let's read, because it's recorded in the Bible for us, what he actually said in his speech. We don't have a video recording or DVD. wasn't filmed, but it was written down. Joshua 24. Now you need to find this in the Bible. It will help to have a Bible. If you don't have one, don't feel embarrassed. There are Bibles in the pews. And you need to look at page 240. 240. Let's read what he actually said, and then we're going to focus on it. Everybody got it? Verse 1. Then Joshua assembled all the tribes of Israel at Shechem. He summoned the elders, leaders, judges, and officials of Israel, and they presented themselves before the Lord. Joshua said to all the people, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Long ago your forefathers, including Terah, the father of Abraham, and Nahor, lived beyond the river and worshipped other gods. But I took your father Abraham from the land beyond the river, and I led him throughout Canaan and gave him many descendants. I gave him Isaac, and to Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau, and I assigned the hill country of Seir to Esau, but Jacob and his sons went down to Egypt. Then I sent Moses and Aaron, and I afflicted the Egyptians by what I did there, and I brought you out. When I brought your fathers out of Egypt, you came to the sea, and the Egyptians pursued them with chariots and horsemen as far as the Red Sea. But they cried to the Lord for help, and he put darkness between you and the Egyptians. He brought sea over them (coughs) and covered them. You saw with your own eyes what I did to the Egyptians. Then you lived in the desert for a long time. I brought you to the land of the Amorites, who live east of the Jordan. They fought against you, but I gave them into your hands. I destroyed them from before you, and you took possession of their land. When Balak, son of Zippor, the king of Moab, prepared to fight against Israel, he sent for Balaam, son of Beor, to put a curse on you. But I would not listen to Balaam, so he blessed you again and again, and I delivered you out of his hand. Then you crossed the Jordan and came to Jericho, The citizens of Jericho fought against you, as also did the Amorites, Perizzites, Canaanites, Hittites, Girgashites, Hivites, and Jebusites. But I gave them into your hands. I sent the hornet ahead of you, which drove them out before you, also the two Amorite kings. You did not do it with your own sword and bow, so I gave you a land on which you did not toil and cities you did not build, and you live in them, and eat from the vineyards and olive groves that you did not plant. Now, fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness, throw away the gods your forefathers worship beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods your forefathers served beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Then the people answered, Far be it from us to forsake the Lord to serve other gods. It was the Lord our God himself who brought us and our fathers up out of Egypt from that land of slavery and performed those great signs before our eyes. He protected us on our entire journey and among all the nations through which we traveled. And the Lord drove out before us all the nations including the Amorites who lived in the land. We too will serve the Lord because he is our God. Joshua said to the people, you're not able to serve the Lord. He's a holy God. He's a jealous God. He will not forgive your rebellion and your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, he will turn and bring disaster on you and make an end of you after he's been good to you. But the people said to Joshua, no, we will serve the Lord. Then Joshua said, you're witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen to serve the Lord. Yes, we are witnesses, they replied. Now then, said Joshua, throw away the foreign gods that are among you and yield your hearts to the Lord, the God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, we will serve the Lord our God and obey him. On that day, Joshua made a covenant for the people. And there at Shechem, he drew up for them decrees and laws. And Joshua recorded these things in the book of the law of God. Then he took a large stone and set it up there under the oak near the holy place of the Lord. See, he said to all the people, this stone will be a witness against us. It has heard all the words the Lord has said to us. It will be a witness against you if you are untrue to your God. Then Joshua sent the people away, each to his own inheritance. Well, that's the story. The speech and what followed. Uh, on the morning after the inauguration of Barack Obama, there was also a discussion, wasn't there, on the radio and on the television, and one question stuck in my mind. I think it was on Radio 5 that I listened to. I'm not into other more trendy channels. But on Radio 5, the interviewer was asking people, when you heard Barack Obama's speech, was there one particular phrase that stuck in your mind? And all sorts of people had different answers. No, no one could exactly agree on what was the most significant soundbite, if you like. But if you'd asked the same thing about Joshua's speech and said, what was the one thing that summarized what he was on about? Then the answer would surely be this. At the climax of the speech, when Joshua challenged the people with these words, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. And today I want to focus very simply on the choice that these people were called to make. And I want to suggest that this baptismal service, on this particular day, January the 25th, 2009, may be for you also the day of decision. Because at the end of this service, you're going to make a choice about whether you will serve the Lord or not. And I want to say three very simple things about this choice. All right, very simply. First of all, it is a fundamental choice. Choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. All of us make choices in life. They range from the trivial, which breakfast cereal shall I eat tomorrow morning, to the serious, which person will I marry. Many of them are optional. You may choose not to eat any cereal, or not to marry. and You may have no choice at all. There are many people in the world who go to bed hungry and get up hungry who have no cereals to eat. And not everyone is asked the question, will you marry me? But the choice that Joshua gives to the people is fundamental to them and to all of us. At its heart, all of us must make this choice. (coughs) It is a choice about this. A choice every person must make. Who are you going to serve? Every human being, every one of us here, is made to serve. We are created by God to serve him. To live for his glory and find fulfillment in him. That's what we're about. This is what I'm made for. There are no opt-outs. You cannot choose to be independent and autonomous. Our first parents learned that the very hard way. When the tempter came with his tempting question, his tempting offer, and he said, Do what God says you shouldn't do. And you know what? you'll be like God. And they were taken in by the lie. We can never become God. No, we are made to serve, or to use a religious word that we've sung already, we are made to worship God. And if you reject God and say, I will not worship God, I will not serve God, you know something very interesting happens. You end up serving some other God. For that is an essential part of our nature. Our natural bent. So, the choice every person must make is not whether I serve or not, but which God, inverted commas, will I serve? And Joshua knows this because he says in his speech to the people of Israel now, you folks, you've got a choice. You can serve the gods of the past that you've already met on your journeys and in your time in Egypt, the gods your forefathers worshiped beyond the river and in Egypt. The river, of course, is the great river Euphrates. And he's going right back to their homeland. And their father Abraham grew up in a place called Ur of the Chaldeans. And it was a place that was characterized by idolatry. Uh, We know from research in archaeology that the people worshipped supremely the moon god. They then ended up in Egypt. And the people in Egypt, the supreme deity was the sun god. And lots of other animal gods if you've looked at Discovery Channel and all these programs about what happened, happened in Egypt. And when they got to Canaan, they discovered that these same gods were also an offer there, only they repackaged themselves under different names. But whatever they name, it's what these gods offer to their consumers. And they offer three basic things. Satisfaction, especially in relation to sex. Success, especially in relation in those days to the harvest. And thirdly, power especially in relation to military success in war. And this is what these gods have always promised, and they still promise the same thing to us today, although we may not bow down to representations of them. What is an offer in our society are the gods of money, sex, and power. And they find plenty of bias. And over against these is God, the one true God. So the fundamental choice you have already made, or you are making, or you will make this evening, is this. Will I serve God or something else? The fundamental choice is to serve God or to serve Jesus. Speaking to his fellow Jews, who would never have been seen dead anywhere near an idol, and who claimed to worship the one true God said, no man can serve two masters. Either he'll hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. It's a lesson that many in our society are learning today. So each of us faces the same fundamental choice that Joshua placed before the people of Israel: who am I going to serve, the Lord or some other god? <clears throat> I was going through this the PowerPoint with Stephen, he said, "I'm sure my age here." Okay, go back, friends. The, years ago, there was a, the, well, he's still around, a great singer called Bob Dylan. Uh, so anybody heard of him? Yes, okay, some of the older ones my age. All right. He went through a phase when he claimed to follow Jesus. Sadly, he doesn't seem to maintain that, but, but he, he brought out an album called Slow Train Coming, which is a brilliant album. And one of the songs in it is called Gotta Serve Somebody. Let me read you some of the words. I won't sing it. Oh, I could probably sing it better than him, because he's not a great singer, is he? But... <laughs> Okay, listen carefully, because it's very interesting what he writes. He says, you may be an ambassador to England or France. You may like to gamble. You may like to dance. You may be the heavyweight champion of the world. You may be a socialite with a long string of pearls, but you're going to have to serve somebody. Yes, indeed, you're going to have to serve someone. You might be a rock and roll addict, prancing on the stage. You might have drugs at your command, women in a cage. You may be a businessman or some high degree thief. They may call you doctor or they may call you chief, but you're going to have to serve somebody. Yes, you're going to have to serve someone. You may be a state trooper. You might be a young Turk. You may be the head of some big TV network. You may be rich or poor. You may be blind or lame. You may be living in another country under a different name, but you're going to have to serve somebody. Yeah, you're going to have to serve someone. You may be a construction worker working on a home. You may be living in a mansion. You may be living in a dome. You might own guns and you might even own tanks. You may be somebody's landlord. You might even own banks. Yeah? But you're going to have to serve somebody. Yeah, you're going to have to serve someone. You may be a preacher with spiritual pride. You may be a city councilman taking bribes on the side. You may be working in a barber shop. You may know how to cut hair. You may be somebody's mistress. Maybe somebody's heir but you're going to have to serve somebody. Yeah, you're going to have to serve someone. Might like to wear cotton, might like to wear silk, might like to drink whiskey, might like to drink milk. You may like to eat caviar, you may like to eat bread. You may be sleeping on the floor, sleeping in a king-sized bed, but you're going to have to serve somebody. Yeah, you are. It may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve someone. You Get the point of the song? The question is, this is the fundamental question is, who are you going to serve? Now, here's the second point. It's a fundamental question, choice. But secondly, it is a rational choice. Uh, again, following Barack Obama's inauguration speech, some people were quite disappointed that he was lacking in the kind of rhetoric and emotional appeal that had characterized his speeches when he was going for the Democratic nomination and for president. Others, however, commended him for the fact that he didn't play the emotional big, big speech card but rather he gave a reasoned presentation of both the challenges and difficulties as well as the opportunities and possibilities which face his administration and the American people. Now, when Joshua stood before the Lord, he could have presented them with an ultimatum. Serve the Lord or else. After all, he's the Lord. They're just puny human beings and so are we. They're like willful and disobedient children. So you know when your kids say, you say to your kids, Do this, and they say, why should I? Because I said so. It's a great parental, you know. When you're older, you'll understand, yeah? But Joshua is amazing. Speaking on behalf of the Lord, he offers them an option. He says, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. And he not only gives them an option, but he gives them reasons for making a choice. He says, remember what the Lord has done for you. It reviews how the Lord called Abraham, gave him many descendants, verses 2 to 4. Verses 5 to 7, how he brought the people of Israel out of slavery in Egypt and delivered them from Pharaoh's army at the Red Sea. Verses 8 to 10, how he gave them land east of the Jordan and even their enemies couldn't prevent them receiving the Lord's blessing. And finally, verse 11 to 13... Finally, how the Lord gave them the land in which they're now living, enjoying prosperity that they never worked for, not by their own efforts, out of God's grace. He gave them all this. And in the light of this, he says, make your choice on the basis of what the Lord has done for you. Verse 20, 14. He says, now, now, in view of all this, fear the Lord, serve him with faithfulness, throw away the gods your forefathers, worship beyond the river and in Egypt, and serve the Lord. He doesn't need to review for them what these other gods offered them or fail to offer them. He simply says, throw them away. Actually, he's speaking literally. If you've been reading through the Bible in a year, which many of us have, do you remember that story with Rachel when she ran away from her father Laban with Jacob? And he chased them afterwards and he said, where are my gods? She got them in a saddlebag of the camel. And she hid them away for reasons, if you've read the story, you won't go into it, but um, she had a good reason for hiding them away. They were just little small household gods. They could be disposed of like garbage. And you say to yourself, surely the choice between worshipping the little, the little idol that you can put on your mantel shelf and worshipping the Lord God of heaven who's done all these amazing things. There's no choice rationally. You see, it's the false gods who call on us to worship them unthinkingly. How many people have chosen the false gods in the heat of emotion or lust? Without considering the consequences. And what you discover is that that kind of service leads to slavery. Now, now today, 3,500 years on, we have a far greater history than did the people of Israel and far more reason to choose to serve the Lord. We look back and recall that God sent his own son, Jesus, to become of one of us, to die in our place so we might be forgiven and reconciled to God as his children. We look back and remember that God raised Jesus from the dead. To set us free from the fear and power of death. To serve the one true God as Jesus promised. He whom the Son sets free is free indeed. We remember that God promises his Holy Spirit to all who turn from their sin and comes to live with him. God of heaven living in me. We've just been singing it. We remember that God has promised us future glory when this life is over and his presence forever and so much more. And after reviewing these wonderful things in his letter to the Christians in Rome, the Apostle Paul says, What should we say then in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Surely the choice to serve the Lord rather than any other gods is no choice at all. But still Joshua, having said all that, presents the people with a reasoned and real choice. He says, but if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. So I present the same reason, choice to you. Choose the Lord. Choose the Lord Jesus over against all the other gods that you've been worshiping and serving up to this point, maybe. For notice, thirdly and finally, my last point, it is a personal choice. Joshua addresses his speech to all the people, but each person has to make a personal choice. Look at our verse again. Choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. And Joshua sets the lead by declaring, regardless of what any of you guys choose, if none of you choose the Lord, as for me and my house, <coughs> my household, we will serve the Lord. Now he's speaking, of course, on behalf of his own family and those in his household, including his servants and his children. When Joshua's gone from the scene, they're grown up, they're going to have to make their own choice. But today, on their behalf, he declares, the allegiance of his family on their behalf. Many years ago, two sets of parents, now grandparents, committed their families and children to the Lord. And more recently, their parents, two of those children, committed their own children to the Lord in this church. And today, two of those children, Connor and Kira, have declared their own personal allegiance to the Lord. Today we celebrate God's faithfulness to that family and his grace. As for me and my household, they said, we will serve the Lord. There's no guarantee that your children are going to do that. But we commit them to the Lord in confidence. And we give thanks today for two young people being baptized. So there's a personal choice made by Joshua. And following this, there is a choice made by the people. Did you notice what they said? Far be it for for us, they said, to forsake the Lord to serve other gods. Verse 16. Recalling God's goodness to them, verse 18, they say, We too will serve the Lord. He's our God. Joshua reminds them this is no trivial or easy commitment. But the people reply, No, we will serve the Lord. The Lord Jesus Christ, if you read the stories in the Gospels, the account of his life, he always cautioned enthusiasts who said they wanted to follow him. He always said to them, As I say to you, count the cost. If you're going to serve the Lord. He spoke about the cost of following him. Then he called the crowds to him along with his disciples and said, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. It's a wholehearted commitment, taking up the cross, dying to self, as one of the verses we got in Galatians 2.20. Crucified with Christ. But he also emphasized the cost of not following Jesus. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world, yet forfeit his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. There are eternal consequences to following Christ, and there are far more serious consequences to not following Christ. So let me ask you the personal question. Have you declared your allegiance? Have you said, as for me, and if you're a parent... And my household, we will serve the Lord. Maybe some of you young people here are like Connor and Kira. Your family came to Charlotte Chapel. Maybe all the years I've been here, I held you as a baby in my arms and we committed you to the Lord and said, bless these children. May they grow up to know and live and serve the Lord. And now you're old enough, you've got to make your own choice, young people, the ones in the top there and the ones as well. Put you on the spot. You're going to serve the Lord? got a choice your mum and dad made the choice on your behalf while you're under their care but now you're of an age you need to choose for yourself who are you going to serve so notice finally nearly finished conclusion this is the day of decision choose for yourselves this day today says Joshua this is the day choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve and following their repeated affirmation, they will serve the Lord, Joshua says, you're witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen to serve the Lord. Okay, this is, you, you sure about this? Yes, we're going to serve the Lord. And they say, yes, we are witnesses. And their verbal verbal witnesses followed by a decisive act of commitment to turn from the Lord, turn from the past and to turn to the Lord. Lovely verse, verse 23. Joshua said, now then, throw away the foreign gods that are among you and yield your hearts to the Lord, the God of Israel. You see, the gods on offer, they may be small, but they're powerful. And they cling so closely. And it's sometimes really hard to throw them away and say, away with you. I'm going to serve the Lord. In his book on Joshua, Steve Gowkrodger. It's called Battleground Comments. Joshua asked the Israelites to throw away their foreign gods and yield their hearts to the Lord. The call to repentance is always a call to do as well as to believe. It goes on. There is no point in saying sorry to God if our lifestyle does not change in response to what he's saying. The word of God calls us to move from simply talking about getting right with God or even standing in his presence and making a commitment to putting our words into practice, setting things right which are actually wrong. If you are not a Christian this evening, there are things you're going to have to get rid of in your life. There are gods that you serve. Maybe obvious to everybody else. Maybe secret gods that you worship in private. Are the gods we have served which we need to renounce, to turn away before we are free to turn, only then are you free to turn to the Lord and yield your hearts to the Lord. Or maybe some of us here once made this commitment and promised to serve the Lord, and we've turned back and we've gone back to worshipping other gods. And you have another opportunity this evening to put your heart right with the Lord, to turn from other gods and to worship the Lord. So the people affirm that they will follow the Lord and their act of commitment is followed by a sign of commitment. Joshua says this is a serious, a solemn moment. It's what the Bible calls a covenant, a binding, solemn agreement. And Joshua records it in writing, and he marks it with a memorial stone. Verse 26, And Joshua recorded these things in the book of the law of God. Then he took a large stone and set it up there under the oak near the holy place of the Lord. See, he said to all the people, this stone will be a witness against us. It has heard all the words The Lord has said to us, it will be a witness against you if you're untrue to your God. This stone stood there as a memorial, so that when people walked past it in years to come, they said, that's the stone where we made our commitment. That's just a stone, it obviously didn't hear anything, it's a stone, but it's a memorial, a marker. Now today we live under a new and better agreement, a covenant, called the New Covenant. That God has made, sealed with the blood of his Son, Jesus Christ. The act of commitment is the same. God's demands have never changed. Repentance, turn from your sin, and the God you serve, and turn to the Lord, the Lord Jesus. And the sign of the covenant that follows, that marks it out that we've made the commitment already, is baptism in water. On the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came upon the apostles and they went out and preached the gospel, a huge crowd of people, the people of Israel in their day, heard an amazing speech by Peter the apostle. At the end of it, they were cut to the heart, realizing they'd murdered their Messiah. And they said to him, what should we do? Here's what Peter said. This is the call of the new covenant. Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, the promise, promises for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. You only come when God calls. Maybe God is calling you today, young or old, to turn from your sin, to leave behind your other gods, and to trust in Jesus and be baptized. And maybe for you, this today is the day of decision. Let me finish on a personal note. Especially some of you may have seen Conor and Kieran and thought, boy, they look very young. What do they really know? Many years ago, I attended a Sunday, Saturday evening rally in my town. I didn't want to go to it, but my father was one of the organizers. I felt a certain obligation. I went into this building. I can still recall it. I'd been at the football match that afternoon and still thinking about how Chesterfield had possibly lost once more. And uh, I'd got this sort of habit of being able to look at the preacher. And they used to come to my father and say, my, your boy listens to the word, doesn't he? All they didn't know that I was listening to something completely different. So I switched onto the football as the speaker stood up and God switched into my life. And he stood up and he said, my text this evening is, choose you this day whom you will serve. And by God's grace, by the call of the Holy Spirit, at the age of 14, he made an appeal. And boy, it was tough. Walking down the front of that church where everybody <laughs> knew me and saying, I'm going to serve the Lord. I was only 14 never regretted it God has been faithful maybe this evening for you is the day of decision, I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that, it's really tough but it's, it's a public way of saying yeah I'm going to do this, we're, we're not good at this in Charlotte Chapel, I realise that you're sitting up there, some young people, whatever we're going to sing a hymn, I'm going to give you an opportunity to say, I want to serve the Lord Jesus from this day onwards and then you can get baptised later, not this evening the water's even colder now than it was when we started <laughs> We have another service in a month's time, another one in the end of March, one in the end of April, one in the end of May. But don't think that far ahead, just think a few weeks. I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that. But first of all, let's pray, and I'll pray a prayer, and then at the end of it, if you want to make a response as we sing, we're going to do that. So let's bow in prayer now. This is a very important moment, the day of decision, maybe for someone here, maybe you're 14, maybe you're 84, it doesn't matter. So let's pray together. Little booklet on the racks as you go out called Journey into Life, and at the end of it you can take one for yourself. It's a free uh, booklet. I'm going to read the prayer at the end of it. And if you want to say the words quietly to the Lord Jesus yourself, then He will hear and answer. Here's the prayer if you really want to say, "I want to serve the Lord, Lord Jesus Christ." I know I've sinned in my thoughts, words, and actions. There are so many good things I've not done. There are so many sinful things I have done. I'm sorry for my sins, and I turn from everything I know to be wrong. You gave your life on the cross for me. Gratefully, I give my life back to you. Now I ask you to come into my life. Come in as my Savior to cleanse me. Come in as my Lord to control me. And I will serve you all the remaining years of my life in complete obedience. Amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer, you want to affirm that you're going to serve the Lord, you have an opportunity in this final hymn, you just come forward, we'll pray for you at the end. If nobody comes forward, that's fine, but don't miss the opportunity. If this is your day of decision, if God has spoken to you, we're going to sing, Just As I Am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, and that thou bidst me come to thee, O Lamb of God. I come now, just to warn you up in the balcony, if you want to come down, there are six verses, don't wait till the last verse. Just come immediately, and let's come and commit our lives to the Lord. We're going to pray for you, whether you're young or old, just come to the front, stand here, we'll pray for you. May God bless you, and may this be a day of decision for some, more than one perhaps here this evening. So let's stand to sing together, just as I am.